0: Little boy, huh? welcome to you, your faithful dog and that handsome gentleman. I'm so terribly happy to see all of you. But before you travel on, I wonder if you could spare me a little time and assist me with a few trivial tasks. Why, of course. We're in no hurry. Yeah. Don't do it, Milo.
1: But talk. We need all the friends we can get up here. Besides, it's only for a little while.
0: And now, young man. If you will take those exquisite tweezers and move this pile of sand from here to here. With these? Of course. And you, sir, have the privilege of taking this delicate needle and digging a hole through this cliff. Why, thank you, sir. An exacting assignment, quite worthy of my talents. I shall enjoy it no end. Don't be a fool, Bug. I think this bird is the terrible... And you, sir, get to take this eyedropper and empty that well.
1: But these tasks don't seem very important.
0: Of course they're not important. If you always do the easy and useless jobs, you'll never have to worry about the important ones. Right. Now I know who you are. You're the terrible Trivium. Quite correct. The terrible trivium. Demon of petty tasks and worthless jobs. Ogre of wasted effort. Come on, humbug. Let's get out of here. And friend to lazy and foolish people everywhere. (laughs) Run, Milo, run! Come back. Come back. There are so many things to take away and things to bring back. So many stamps to lick. so many pencils to sharpen. There are so many holes to dig. So many nails to straighten. So many doodles to doodle. So many goofs to off. Come back. There are so many useless things yet to do. There are strings to tie, knits to pick, fingernails to bite, paper clips to unbend.
2: Welcome, friends, to another episode of Class Unity Transmissions. I'm joined today by Stephanie K, KDF, and Daniel B to talk about leftoid busywork and wasting time. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, you heard the 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 cold open cartoon. Daniel, maybe we could just start with you. Can you give us a basic outline of the problem with leftoid busywork and wasting time?
3: Okay, so. Why I wanted to do this, I keep having these terrible experiences with leftist organizations. They just keep happening, but apparently I can't get enough. And they keep calling to mind by association this clip from a cartoon I watched as a child called The Phantom Tollbooth. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's what it's called, yeah. And it's the Trivium Terrible they get to this point in their journey where they need to, you know, they face a series of challenges and they have to overcome these hurdles to get to the, whatever they're going to, I can't even remember what they're going to. And they get to this guy with like a mystery face. And, um, he says, Oh, friends we will be friends. Yes. But please, first, would you help me, um, move this pile of sand with this pair of tweezers? Oh, will you please first help me dig a hole through this mountain with this pin? Um, And I don't know about you, I'd like to hear some of your um, horror stories, but I mean, I've had so many experiences where, you know, um, it's almost as though so-called activists, political activists and community organizers really just like to waste their time in these sort of stylized ways with a sort of radical aesthetic. But um, it's like moving a pile of sand tweezers before we do anything. Um, and the, in the story, it's a boy with his dog driving this little car and some friend along with them. And, and, and the friend is getting kind of suckered into it and he's sort of falling for it. He says, come on, we need all the friends we can get. Let's make friends. Come on. We need friends. Be nice. Um, help this guy move this pile of sand with tweezers. And the dog's like, you know, right. maybe it's the dog. I can't remember who it is. The other one says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We should be more cautious. Like this is, this is insane. Some, some people recognize it. Some people don't. Um, so, you know, I thought like this could be a funny way in to talk about leftist pathology.
2: Nice. Um, do you have a sense that this is maybe connected to the broader phenomena of what, what a, a lot of critical thinkers refer to as the phenomenon of bullshit jobs?
3: Maybe. People who don't have a bullshit job but are sort of accustomed or trained to hold meetings, they simulate a bullshit job even when they're unemployed. So you get a bunch of unemployed, down (laughs) PMC people, and they don't know what to do with themselves, so they hold meetings off the clock. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Mm -hmm. you think about it, like, leftist organizing is like managing workers. You know, you tell people what to do, and you try to trick them into wanting what you want them to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's how it seems to me, at least.
2: Another thing that that strikes me um, that kind of, kind of comes to mind when I I think about this topic, uh, Daniel, is uh, you know the, the famous Irish socialist Oscar Wilde uh, once said, and he 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 could uh, he could be quite self-critical. He, he famously said in a quip, um, "The problem with socialism it just takes up too many damn evenings." And of course, I think he was referring precisely to that phenomena you're you're, you're alluding to here, which is the ability to just kind of have endless pointless meetings for maybe micro trivia stuff um th- these kinds of inability to kind of see efficiency as, as an as an as an issue in in how we approach things um is that kind of what we're trying to get at here or um well you know I just thought
3: you know I had this experience over and over and over again yeah that people it seems like people are intentionally wasting their time but they but they don't really see think that they're wasting their time or they don't want to think that they're wasting their time and i just feel like what am i doing i'm, I'm wasting my time and also uh so i thought you all must have similar stories to tell i mean we could I, definitely
2: I, I, definitely let's get into it well do you feel sta- like
1: you're wasting your time i'm told like all the time by uh random family members that i'm wasting my time and uh yeah of course i feel like i'm wasting my time like at least like 70% of the time when I'm dealing with ESA, <laughs> <laughs> with class unity, maybe like 50% of the time, you know, and some of this Pretty is good. just, yeah. I mean, some of this is just, uh, so I may be like more, um, on the, the con here, like playing devil's advocate a lot because I think that there are a lot of, uh, benefits to be gained from certain types of activities. Um, but, uh, like, in absence of other activities, they do, they do kind of net out to nothing, you know, there's no net effect. And I think that that's the problem, a lack of or, orga- organization and infrastructure, organizational infrastructure. Um, every, it's just like a free for all people are th- throwing things at the wall. There's lots of bad actors, maybe by design uh maybe they're there for a reason maybe they're just there because they're drawn to our politics but uh it's really hard to get anything done but yeah we can talk more about personal experiences later i definitely want to hear about like what you've encountered oh well, katie i've heard, i've talked to you a lot about dsa <laughs> dan uh salts you want to share some stories oh, with yeah. <laughs> okay and then nick i'm sure you you have plenty of dsa stories
2: Katie, what about you? I've definitely got some, but.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think um,
4: really the way I met Steph uh, was through, you know, I I attended, uh, I went to the house of another class unity member, and I was like, coming like hours off, finding out that all of this work that I put in over a month for Medicare for All project was thrown out the window for some obscure sexual assault allegation for someone that wasn't even involved in the, so, I mean, I can get more into that, but I, you know, I, I spoke to Steph and, and really, I mean, it speaks to, I guess how common it is that we bonded so hard over this very topic. I like the foundation of our friendship <laughs> pretty much, uh, but I was going to say, I think, you know, a lot of it is probably ego-driven, narcissism. But I do think there probably is a lot of sincerity where people feel like maybe at the end of this, we'll be ready to do the thing. You know, or we'll have the foundation laid to finally do the thing. But nobody mm-hmm. really knows what the thing is. Yeah. Uh, and so... I, you just get lost and there's a lot of conflict and, but I do think, you know, it, I, in part, this is a symptom of the fact that there's really nothing going on right now for the left. Uh, at the same time, it, you know, there are a lot of people that just like to feel like they know better than anyone else
2: is it partly an outcome like you you just mentioned narcissism and these sort of very human um sins as it were these flaws that that we all have tendencies to engage in or, or to 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 embody in our actions um uh given certain structural kind of conditions like is it it and and you also just mentioned there an example of where work that you had engaged in was kind of cut short by some allegation to do with the personal character of some individual. It it, it seems to me that part of the problem is we, we're we in a place right now where we engage in a lot of self-selected activity. And um, I mean, I'm certain even in, within class unity, we have some of this, right? Like initiatives come out of certain individuals who have certain capacities at that time. They have a certain energy and then structurally we can't really kind of assign it or are fitted into a kind of a more schematic uh, labor, as it were, uh, is, is that is that partly what we're dealing with as we discuss these issues that we we're kind of structurally condemned to do this busy work that, that we're talking about?
4: You mean like difficulty, implementing an idea or unlike um, okay.
2: i mean the the, the the classic issue and i'm thinking here um there was there was just there was a i have some issues with this particular thinker but there was a very good book from jody dean um a few years ago and it was a it was coming out of the occupy era and she was very critical of occupy as as were others Zizek and other people um basically that because it couldn't think about the party question. It had the crowds part down, but pure horizontality is a flash in the pan. And it's a lot of busy work and everybody's active and doing exactly the kind of work that we're talking about And it, but it can't sort of tick over into sort of, there's no institutional memory that goes with um, a, a movement like that. Occupy burns out as quick as it starts. Um, it It can't, it doesn't have continuity. It doesn't have staying power. And that's because it can't, you know, wh- what does a party do? A party has a bureaucracy to a certain extent. A party has l- leadership um, and it, it doesn't matter who the individuals are. It's not a self-selecting. Like if you die or if I die or somebody changes their mind or somebody engages in some sort of overt, terrible sexual assault of some, some sort, right? That person can be removed from their function and someone else swaps in. And the thing just keeps going yeah. and it's not the end of the world. You, you it smoothens things out. I mean, I know there's problems with parties as well, but at least you kind of that bureaucratic aspect gives it a continuity. Um, I just thought I would throw that in there as a, as a sort of a initial kind of effort to figure out what the problem is here.
4: There's such an aversion to bureaucracy though. And, and I, for good is, reasons, good reasons. Absolutely. But also, I think ego-driven people have different priorities. But, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm guilty of it. I knee-jerk, I'm, you know, my my initial reaction is a bit of fear when I hear that someone is wanting to assume, like, a a solid chunk of responsibility for decision-making in an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to trust. And maybe that's part of it is I definitely don't think I haven't experienced a lot of trust in any of these organizations.
3: My instinct, my instinct is that um, it's, there's a fear of responsibility, the, the kind of responsibility, which comes with actually doing something. Mm-hmm. And as long as you stay in these sort of horizontal, whatever, you know, silly structures, nothing will ever happen. And that's actually the point. So I think it might not be intentional. It's probably not intentional. It's probably somehow unconscious. But I think the function and the role of this leftist busy work, which uh, people are addicted to, is, is that it doesn't allow anything actually to take shape, anything durable, like you're saying. And the antipathy towards a party the antipathy towards hierarchy and commands and structure um, is is the fear of being committed to something which you you did and you have to take responsibility for. Because, you know, I think the, the sense of many people on the left is leftists, which is an ideological category. That's not a class category. You can be anyone and be a leftist. And that's why it's okay to be a leftist, but it's not okay to have a class party. So that's, suspect from the beginning, but let's say, okay, leftists, they don't want anything really to happen. They don't want really anything to change. They're fine. And so all of this busy work with these endless meetings is just pure cope. And it would be nice to recognize that and to draw a line that makes a distinction and say, okay, you go have your simulated meetings over there. And We need to build a durable institutional structure, which is capable of acting, holding people responsible and accountable and making things happen on a class basis and not this ideological uh, stuff. And so I think, you know, I mean, one example I can think of uh, is just off the top of my head because it's so glaring. I remember during COVID, um, the sort of leftist hysteria, which was still following from donald trump and george floyd and from you know some residual energy maybe from bernie sanders i don't know what but people were still flowing into meetings and a bunch of people got on zoom for the chicago dsa uh and But it wasn't enough to make quorum because they had gotten so many people signed up in the wave of all this stuff, like so many people that you really needed a big number in order to get quorum to hold a meeting. And so they're like, okay, five more minutes. Okay. Let's wait 10 more minutes. Let's see. Maybe people show up late. It's like, no, man, people aren't coming. People aren't coming to your, people aren't coming to your group therapy, your, your free group therapy session. And eventually it became clear, like nothing we do today can be binding even to the extent that something can be binding a DSA, which is very little, right? Because yeah. it's like writing on the beach. You know, all you have to do is wait for the tide to come up and it erases everything you've done. And so mm. so they, they, they established that it wasn't going to matter because they couldn't meet quorum, but they still wanted to talk about stuff anyways. And that meeting lasted for four hours. Four oh my hours.
2: God. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And it's- How you know, short of quorum were they uh, by the end of it? Uh,
3: not even close. Not even, in you know, because we were talking about thousands of people that got signed up.
2: Yeah. This is where you need, people need to think seriously about process. It's,
3: and it's so dysfunctional that I'm starting to think like, you know, this might not have been by design, but it is a permanent feature. This is what this thing is. So mm. it you know, it just seems like the people actually enjoy holding Zoom meetings off the clock. Um, yeah.
1: Well, so, Dan, I want to talk a little bit about that, because I kind of think that we need more meetings, um, but a (laughs) totally different type of meeting. I think that our problem on the left is that we let people kind of spearhead their own organizing. We say, you know, like in DSA and in class unity, to some extent, there's no, like, program Mm -hmm. to kind of like bring somebody in as an entry level person, especially a working class person who's interested in learning how to organize and actually affect change, um, or even just be an effective party member, you know, or like group organizational member, you know, like there are so many people who have, I think our politics or even interested in them. Um, and we just have no, no, way to orient them and actually skill them up so they feel comfortable with doing anything, whether it be canvassing or even like uh, holding like an internal meeting. So the, the problem in my mind is that, you you know, like we have like these essentially uh, many of them like poverty adjacent middle class kids who are currently unemployed, underemployed, but really definitely have had bullshit jobs, will have them in the future, and they'll be high-paid ones. Mm -hmm. They come in to do their organizing for a while, and they kind of run the show because there's no cohesive organizational strategy structure. There's not standing meetings. So I, I mean, like in one way, if you're going, if you assemble everyone, like if you get everyone together for a call, and for some reason you can't make quorum to vote there're plenty of things you can do to repurpose that time we need to build more trust and like co- cohesion um part of the reason why no one wants to commit time is because no one trusts anyone part of it's because of the a tr- like the like uh <laughs> the pull of um I don't know, like people who are mentally unstable, to our type of politics and our organizations.
3: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> the nature so of the, the nature of the politics does attract a certain type, which is which is probably why there's a problem native to the to the the grouping activity or whatever. But I mean, just you know, for sake of some back and forth, um, so I disagree about this. Like, there's still something good you can do with this time. So, I think actually, what needs to happen is. Um, There has to be some kind of, you know, awareness. When do we cut our losses? When do we pull the plug? Um, There is a tendency among people who call themselves leftists to say, my commitment is infinite. I am dedicated to the task. I'll never pull the plug. I'll never stop. And what that does is um, make a person incredibly unrealistic. And, And that's In part, I think why nothing ever happens. And so when it becomes clear that nothing can be binding, in my view, what should have happened was it's over. You just stop that meeting and stop wasting people's time and stop this secular religious practice, this liturgical behavior with, you know, it's, it's, it's Catholicism without a God. And so I would say... Find something real to do instead of the Zoom meetings because these people won't go to a real meeting anyways. And they they wear their they wear their COVID masks in a Zoom
1: meeting. That's know? a whole separate issue though, because we need to have real meetings. <laughs> you could to...
3: to... do that, dear that... listener, but <laughs> Nick's head just exploded
1: <laughs> I mean, we we need to have like real meetings. We actually need to have physical spaces where people can show up and yes. like talk to each other and yeah, see I each totally other in person. Agree. You know, that that's gonna be really important. But like, yeah, I mean, I was invited to an IWW training like, and I think it's gonna actually be like in a week or something. And they're like, yeah, you still have to wear the mask. I mean, that is part of the reason why we held on to Zoom meetings for so long in DSA. Uh, I think they're just now going back to like live in-person conventions, was because of this insane, (laughs) totally unhinged uh, over i don't know just outside reaction to covid um and again like we'll get into this but like there's just a dearth of real like outward organizing especially like toward concrete like ends and a focus hyper focus on internal organizing and that's because people don't know what to do but part of the reason is because we don't have like real organizational infrastructure like somebody can maybe spend a few years doing this you know uh maybe like live with a roommate for a while maybe mommy and daddy pay a couple of bills but then after a while especially if they're middle class they're going to want to go back and get a job especially after like not actually have anything to show for that time um so we do need to build up like real bureaucracy. And I'm not saying just for the sake of bureaucracy, like I shudder to think of like the people who are currently running the DSA steering committee in my local chapter, like (laughs) really like, like having more power than they already do, because they're just so much of this, so much of their involvement is really about like their pet projects and maybe their careers to some extent. But um, yeah, I mean, so there's a problem with the The people who are attracted but it's like same people won't be attracted to something that doesn't have there's no vehicle for real change because we don't have organized money we don't have organized power we can talk about stories of like just endless like solidarity stuff that goes nowhere that doesn't help us build you know our base that doesn't help build raise our profile doesn't help build skills we'll get into more stories i think but anyway so yeah that's my Rant. <laughs> I
2: want to kind of pick up on points that you're both making here if I may uh on the one hand I think Daniel's sort of argument about the cultural aspect of this and then also Steph's point about the um the type of as you say almost like borderline poverty struck um type individuals that sometimes end up in leadership positions within local DSA chapters um I, I'll be careful how I Go here with this example because I, I I need to I need to keep it kind of detailed but not detailed. Um, in my local chapter, which I was a member of for a long time, um, w- you know, w- we really surged in membership um, as DSA nationally was was surging in membership, and our and our fate very much followed the national pattern. But that said, remained a small chapter. Um, kind of like as Dan was insinuating, though. Uh, you have this um, very rapidly expanding membership in the allocated zip codes, right? Very few people showing up. And as the national membership wave started to collapse, we all remember that. It was about a year, year and a half ago or so, the the, the vaunted 100,000 membership, just we didn't quite reach it. And then it just started to drop off. I don't know what it is now. Actually, I haven't looked at the membership numbers recently, I I would wager they're not great. But I, I hear there's a, with the Israel-Gaza uh, fighting, there's there's maybe an uptick in membership again now. I've heard that. But um, as that wave of interest dropped off, it was precisely the people that you were alluding to, Steph, that, that kind of were left holding the baby and their first order of business before they basically stopped meeting was to attempt to remove Roberts Rules from the meeting procedures, because why do we need Roberts Rules?
1: Common occurrence, yes. And at that <laughs> moment,
2: you're just like, I, I I, don't know what to do here with you people. I mean, by replace Roberts Rules with something else if you want, but you're just going to get rid of all of it and just do like all kind of informal oral history stuff, you know, or
3: storytelling, tell your storytelling, man,
2: man. tell your truth. That's it. That's it. Come bear witness. Give the, you know, the, the, the sort of, um, do your little, the born, the born, the born again, um, hand waving and, the
3: the big others watching do, do a good job. You might,
4: (laughs) I want to talk about that Gaza conflict though. Like it's interesting that, okay. If we have a rise in DSA membership, You know, following October 7th, people join DSA and they're they're charged by, you know, emotionally charged about this Gaza conflict. So, again, like this is a perfect setup for. What are you going to do?
3: There's nothing you can do. And
4: so there's going to be meetings about what you can do. And it'll be a lot of. Maybe a lot of ideas that are kind of. or like really broad concepts, kind of like amorphous ideas. But yeah, I mean, what do you do? You can't, you can't really do anything. And yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I more just wanted to open the floor to, I mean, and I think it's really a lot of people with George Floyd uh, joined and then they joined DSA or it's not just TSA. It's any leftist organization. Right. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do about police violence? You're going to defund the entire police, like, you know, as a as one chapter.
3: But that's the thing. I think they pick impossible tasks exactly. so that they never actually have to do anything. And so that when they fail, it's not really their fault. They fail gloriously and they do the right thing because they think the psychology is a bunch of beautiful souls. They would rather fail than have then be have some dirt on their hands.
4: Right. I that's disagree. very, clear, I think yeah. I disagree. I think like, oh. <laughs> we just have a, we have a total lack of, uh, we haven't had a model for successful organizing.
2: That's also true.
4: Very long time. So, I mean, you had even in the eighties coming off of the sixties and seventies, like the eighties hangover, um, you have this horrible issue of drug pricing for the AIDS crisis and you see, Then I think you could argue ACT UP was kind of similar to Occupy and that it kind of dispersed just as quickly as it was put together, but there was real change that came out of ACT UP. Uh, And, you know, at least then the people in that generation had recent, tangible, successful organizing in their memory that they could, you know, they knew it could happen. They knew that it could be real. I mean, I can't think of, I mean, I can't think of anything truly successful. I I mean, I immediately, nothing comes to mind immediately.
3: Well, but there's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of character to this because, so what i was saying i think that impossible tasks are chosen so that it never comes down to actually having to do anything which person would take respond have to take responsibility for or could act if you can actually achieve it you might actually succeed and you might fail and that's too much i think for some people and, and you know if you pick something which is impossible, like we're gonna organize around Israel-Palestine, there is there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing within your capacity. And so you can't really mess up, right? Because it's doomed from the beginning. And for a kind of romantic type person, that's also almost comforting. Like we will fail, but we will fail gloriously and exhibit our moral uh, human decency. And for, I think there are some people for whom that's what it's really about. And so, you know, nothing is happening Right, but it's also nothing happening because this kind of people are the people who taken on the banner and carry it and they keep picking these impossible tasks. And I don't think it's magic. It's not magic. It's not that we don't have the potion or the incantation. On the contrary, incantations don't work. It's it's there's there's no institutional structure. There is no institutional structure because we have a sort of institutional paralysis built into leftists, their instinct is horizontality. They think that authority is bad, and that's the first thing they want to get rid of. So first of all, that's not socialism, that's anarchism. And basically, you get in a situation where the leaders think that to lead is to follow the followers. And that's why nothing's going to happen, because there's no initiative which is coordinated and responsible and ready to you know, undertake a task which could fail, but could also actually succeed. So starting small, and I don't mean, I don't mean like community activist stuff, because by and large, I think community organizing, political activism is the busy work waste of time. Like, why don't we go change taillights? Come on, that's it.
1: (laughs) Dan, I have a lot to say. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, So first of all, I think with The kind of direct action we've seen around uh, Israel-Palestine after, uh, since the war in Gaza, actually I have seen change, like very concrete change in my field. Uh, So I work in philanthropy and I've seen people who threw their weight behind all manner of racial justice, uh, like leaders in philanthropy who really make decisions about um spending essentially repurposing um hundreds of millions of dollars that are obviously set aside by these these billionaires to two grantees some of them small organizations some of them bigger but um like you know this is real you know we're we're of course philanthropy we're talking about like a, a kind of like buying of soft power and we're talking about washington money but we're also talking, this is, if we want to actually be effective as leftists, we're gonna learn, we're gonna have to learn how to get some of that money um, because we used to have a supply of of uh, money like that came in um, obviously from foreign countries uh, and we don't have that anymore. Uh, as, as well as like some member dues and stuff, but we, we are seriously lacking in money, we're lacking in infrastructure and we can't build it without money. So we really need to be paying attention. We really need to understand how to actually work the philanthropy game. Um, but I've just seen changes in my field, like people who were totally hypocritical. Like they were all about like bipoc this, you know, defund that, which they conveniently forgot about like a, a year later. But they just right. kept silent on Israel Palestine, even though like all the staffers they had hired and they had spent like a, a, an organization that I work at they spend um tens of millions of dollars a year uh on just uh what's called MENA activities so middle east north Af- african what what I don't remember the acronym but it's all about like uh, essentially like combating the rise of islamophobia you know basically it's like a, like 20 years too late right but basic, basically these people maybe um who are making decisions now supported the iraq war back in 2003 mm-hmm. and we're not um resisting what I think was, like, a, a real, um, turn towards, like, a, a real, uh, tacit acceptance of, like, real bigotry in, in, the, in the country at the time, um, toward, towards l- large swaths of people, huge waste of money, waste of lives, um, in this interventionist, uh, nation-building, <laughs> adventurous, whatever, uh, yeah, project. Um, anyway, so, but I've seen changes in my field just because of the direct action you can't discount for hundreds of thousands of people on the street. I mean, I think direct action is very important. The question about what to do next is, is the the right one to ask Katie, you brought up act up. I mean, that made, I think a huge, huge difference. Uh, I just think that Nick, when you and I talked to Armand about the the, uh, rethinking gay particularity article that he wrote, I I think that we got into this a little bit, like the people who were involved in ACT UP eventually because of this, uh, the mainstreaming of gay rights after the success they kind of had um, and the mainstreaming of the organizations in particular, they kind of like were then funneled into these, like they they kind of moved into these mainstream orgs and then started taking the mainstream issues, like the right to serve in the military, the right to be married or whatever. and uh, yeah, they just uh, there wasn't and again, had there, there had been like a lot of um, coordinated effort between ACT UP members and all manner of like leftist activists, disability rights activists, Black Panthers, whatever you know, you name it, everything under the sun. But yeah, like they get I don't Stockholm think those-
2: syndrome, that's what happens, right? I mean, they they, they have the most radical ideas in, in college or whatever. And by the time yeah. they get into these nonprofits, it's just
1: yeah exactly and like the you know the fight that like it becomes different right it changes but like i mean there is something to be said that the 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 lack of infrastructure we're talking about now on the left existed in the early 90s too so like the inability of the left at large to kind of like say hey you were involved in act up you know come do this organizing here um organized for drug uh pricing changes organized for Changing insurance laws, not just for a particular set of subset of the community, but the whole working class that didn't happen. Um, anyway, so I just, I just wanted to just, I know that was long winded, but I don't actually think that these mass mobilizations are not affecting change. I think that they're affecting very real change. Um, but doesn't mean that it's actually going to change policy it just means that uh i mean it'll change policy a little bit geopolitics uh but uh it will basically we're just going to see less cavalier uh endorsement of i don't know bombing of hospitals and in gaza you know it it won't change obviously the united states interests in the in in the region but um i i do see there's a lot to be said for direct action. The problem, of course, is like there are a lot of downsides too. You know, like people, there's endless infighting that happens <laughs> in these direct action environments. Um, I've seen some like really bad, bad examples of movements that were split even further because of like the kind of things that happened in like on like out in the field during direct action um, events. So anyway, so I, I do take issue with that, Daniel, but I'll let you, uh, I'll let you. uh, I think
3: there's, I think there's some confusion here because, um, I really do because, so people keep talking about the left, the left, leftists, the left, 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 leftists. Um, that's an ideological kind of catch all category, which is really imprecise. And so I think that the idea, so there's this common idea, which I think is confused but it's common and it's something like this. You have radical leftist groups doing radical leftist things. Eventually they get mainstreamed, they get co-opted and then they become part of the establishment. No, this confusion comes from the confused category leftism. Um, That's false. If your issue is to give, uh, for instance, homosexuals the right to be married, and all of the rights which that confers with respect to property, inheritance, um, all, you name it, all of this kind of stuff. I mean, in a previous time, it would have been much clearer to socialists and to Marxists that this is a question of bourgeois right. And it would have been clearer that this doesn't have a damn thing to do with capitalism or, or anti-capitalism or mm-hmm. socialism. It mm-hmm. does have something to do with capitalism. It's positive. It's just trying to revise the it's just trying to revive it's tweaking around the edges just sort of oh oh, let's just make this a little different um and the problem is now that we can't we are so many people have either they're incapable of discriminating between that and socialist politics class politics or they don't actually want to and this is some sort of automatic controlled opposition where it just it is it's always doing this so oh we're socialists we think that everyone should be able to do whatever they want that's libertarianism and so that's not socialism, and and so the function of that is to, is to undermine from within the capacity of any group of people to actually coordinate anti-capitalist politics by substituting it with what it's not, liberalism. And so when I say it's not magic, what I mean is, you know, as you're rightfully saying, I think you know, politics is about funding, patronage, flows of money, loyalty, commands, information, setting up networks, um, and if you find yourself in the orbit of certain Sources of money and power, you're going to have, you're going to be in part of their loyalty network, their patronage network. If they're paying for you, you're going to do what they want or else they're going to stop paying for you. And so, really building uh, an organization which can do something, like stand up and get up, walk across the room, even, Um, you know, leftists, organizing leftists is like pushing rope. Um, To be able to do anything, you have to build a command structure. People interacting with each other with responsibility, but also gathering information and above all, gathering money, whether that's through dues or whatever. But um, we need to be really clear, though, this can never be expected from so-called leftists who keep insisting, they keep insisting that like, this uh, civil civil bourgeois right type stuff is is the native territory of socialism and, and class politics, because it's not that's cope. That's that's accepting an impossible task and then and then calling it something else.
1: Well, I agree with that. And that's not what ACT UP was focused on. ACT UP was focused on drug, like taking down the insurance system, changing insurance laws, changing drug pricing, um, housing like a lot of ACT UP members were socialists. Some were just garden variety liberals, but a lot of them were very far, like far to the left. What came afterwards, after essentially the success of ACT UP in getting some of these, in in achieving some of this change um, that actually did not just make things better for people with AIDS or HIV, but like just regular, like it really did put a it put a dent, in, like I think that the the rights that insurance companies had at the time, or the insurance industry, I'm sure that's all been reversed to some extent. Um, but uh, what what uh, what happened afterwards was there was just a total dis- dissolution of like uh, the the movement, the actors. A lot of them were subsumed into other orgs i think that some of their housing um, like kind of like organiz- focused organizations that were all about universal housing not just for gay people not just for people with aids but like for basically anyone who didn't have housing in new york at the time because this was during the period of like uh, gentrification in new york where housing prices were suddenly just shooting up um, they those organizations or those branches became like basically charities. Uh, it was just it basically the capture of a real, I would say, a, a, a real leftist, not a um, libertarian, not a liberal uh, movement um, that was small. It wasn't a mass movement, but I did, do think it did it did affect a material change, and it was uh, captured very quickly and um, basically just kind of faded away. Uh, Daniel, I want to talk about community organizing cuz mm. my my stand my standpoint is that we don't have a base and that's the problem. Like like what is the saying like the working class without organization is like just raw material for exploitation and like we don't have an organized working class base and there's no that's the simplest thing to start with. Like recruiting basic uh like introduction like basic political education community building to some extent skill building and there's no focus on that it's all like even in class unity our recruiting is totally passive you know and like it i don't know that we have the capacity actually to bring like working class people in and get them like trained up on basic like what marxism is who marx was like a lot of people don't know but they still they still have our politics Um, And that's a huge problem. I mean, you think about the pamphlets, like, you know, like from the the Communist Party pamphlets and like even like Bolshevik pamphlets, like dating like forever, like even chartist pamphlets, right? That stuff is accessible. It can be read. Like, why aren't we focusing more on like basic rudimentary political education? And I'm not just talking about class unity. I'm talking about all the left. I mean, DSA does... Uh, I think they, ha- they have a little more of a focus, but it's all out of date and it's just bullshit. It's like, you know, like, don't be a swerf, don't be a turf, you know, like yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, I don't think it really re- well, resonates with most people who are outside. Steph,
2: of the I have a, I have a question there. Um, since you're talking about community organizing, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, Jane McAlevey's book, uh, No Shortcuts, and she does a sort of a deep dive there on the sort of genealogy of community organizing ideology in America. Of course, looming large in that narrative is Saul Alinsky, and um, the kind of shift to a financialized, uh, uh, a financed rather, uh, nonprofit model for herding votes and herding. Citizens, as it were, um, in 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 structures that, where they don't really play much of a of a of a, a a leadership role. They're just you know they can be rolodexed, so to speak. Um, she contrasts that with what she calls the left model, which is an organizing model. So there's there's I guess you've got the community organizing, but then you've also got the kind of more more union style. Which is not what Alinsky ended up being at all. Um, do you, are you are you red in any of that, or do you know any of that story? You mean, read like
3: the a... color red, or you mean what do
2: you mean? I'm just kidding. The, co- <laughs> the color red. I don't know. Just kidding. I, so uh, <laughs> i
1: I've heard like a lot of critique about Alinsky, like or mm. like criticism of Alinsky. I read like his early books. Um, okay. I mean, I think that they're actually like they should be. Like uh, knowing what Alinsky uh, knowing about how Alinsky operated, um, initially, I think like should be part of any kind of organizing 101. Like, sorry, can I just jump in. Can you Good. guys maybe for people that aren't listeners that aren't familiar, can you explain who this is and
2: Saul What's Alinsky? Go for it, Steph. You've, yeah, you've, like,
1: like, you've, you know, you've read the you've
2: read the stuff, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Saul Alinsky is this guy, like, who started organizing communities, uh, very working class communities in Chicago, I think, in the 1930s. Um, He was uh, very much about community organizing. He, like, did, like, would do anything from, like, uh, I don't know, he did, like, a lot of direct action stuff. He did, like, a lot of, like, coalition building. He wrote some really good books about it he became kind of like a i think i don't know like definitely like a post beat like you know uh hippie in the 70s and continued to write went up to uh i think rochester organized like around Mm -hmm. kodak up there um he has a really bad rap i think because he uh Like, I I don't really know, actually, I've never read the criticism of him. I just know that people on the left are like, oh, Linsky sucks, you know, but I do think that he is actually an effective community organizing. And um, you can't really think about like 30s through, I guess, 30s and 40s working class movements and success without... Like I, I, I think conferring with Al- Alinsky and what he wrote, um, but I don't know the criticism criticism of him specifically. Uh, I, and I know that the industri- Industrial Areas Foundation now is like totally so far removed from anything he used to do.
3: I think the I think the antipathy towards him is a lot of leftist cope because by rejecting him and saying so, the idea is basically comes out of the old left, 1930s labor organizing. Then the Cold War starts and he distinguishes himself from Marxism. He says, I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a communist. His whole whole thing was about, you know, getting communities to be able to advocate for their own interests and going in and, and introducing a structure which they can replicate and take over themselves. And so I'm not like a huge fan, but I mean, when I discovered his books, I read his books, then I ran out of his books and I looked for all of his articles I could find excellent uh, some, some articles are not easy to find. I looked at, you know, all the video interviews I could find. I tried to get as much of the stuff because he's an interesting guy and he's very intelligent and he's not a hippie. He's not a hippie. The hippies loved him, but he was absolutely not a hippie. He's a total realist and he's worth reading and very interesting, but, um, he's in this cold war context where it, it was important for him in order to be effective, to distinguish himself from, you know, communists and Marxists. And so, it's dated in that respect, and it's not so maybe useful, especially because community organizing now is basically just what social workers do. I mean, it's a waste of time um, because, you know, the second you solve the problem, you just abolished your job, right? So so that it's built in there not to solve it. But I mean, leftists don't like Saul Alinsky because by saying that he's just a reformist, you can signal that you're a radical revolutionary Marxist, which is which is bullshit because hmm. all the people who say that what do they do? They stand outside of the L train and sell fucking newspapers. It's bullshit. So the all, a lot of the anti-Alinsky energy is just the cope of a person, the co- just pure cope.
2: So I'd push back on that a little bit. I mean, I think if you read No Shortcuts, which again is Jane McAlevey's book, and and she she was trained as an Alinsky a community organizer like that was her whole start in life before she kind of got into the union thing and and her criticize her criticism um of Alinsky is is not like where he started but basically where it ended up and and uh there's a there's a quote that just uh, i'll i'll read it off here it's uh this is actually from ira katz nelson uh, from a book called city trenches which she cites in no shortcuts And, and here's here, I think this embodies what I think is her criticism of where Linskyism ended up American urban politics has been governed by boundaries and rules that stress ethnicity, race, and territoriality rather than class, and that emphasize the distribution of goods and services while excluding questions of production or workplace relations. The center place of these rules has been the radical separation in people's consciousness, speech, and activity of the politics of work from the politics of community. I, I, now you guys have read more uh, Alinsky than me. I'm, I'm not going to sort of referee that. I, I'm not in a place to be able to do that. Alinsky is a very American, uh, figure. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I didn't grow up here, but, uh, you, you know, I, I, e- even if, um, maybe her criticism of Alinsky is off the mark, I think, I think certainly. We are in a place where that that quote lands, right? That that focus sure. on uh, on on the separation in consciousness, speech, and activity of the politics of work from the politics of community. But I would even go back and say that that is not even something that I think is um, Alinsky's fault or something like that. I mean, you can go even all the way back to you know founding mm-hmm. debates about the politics of this country and see the kind of community focus. Um, in, in, in the, the kind of, um, Thomas de Tocqueville and people like this, you know, talking about how, uh, American democracy was founded in a, in a sort of a, a a type of a community volunteerism. Um, and that's, that's, that was kind of the, the glue that kept market-based society functioning. So there's always been this kind of almost neoconservative edification of the, of the the role of um the community and um you know something like the chess club or you know the church the church organization um and it's it's the thing that um at least for Tocqueville sorry not to get like too off into the weeds on this but you know it was the thing for Tocqueville that basically made the horizontality of market-based society which of course historically speaking at that time was unprecedented um which which basically allowed it to continue to function in a uh, non-narcissistic way essentially a theme later reiterated in in bowling alone by Robert Putnam
3: well you know I think okay so we're kind of getting in the weeds and I don't want to yeah I know
2: I know I'm sorry (laughs) we can back out of (laughs) that no
3: it's okay it's actually good because um so I agree, you know, from the beginning, read Madison's Federalist 10. We've talked about this before. We have, yes. American democracy is anti-democratic liberalism from day one. But what you're right. talking about, you know, is it is a conservative idea, and it's interesting because it does appear in, in, in DSA uh type organizations. It's called subsidiarity. And it's from Burke. And you hear people like you hear people like Margaret Thatcher say this stuff. The idea is. Don't bring in big governmental, hierarchical, uh, powerful. I mean, this is all bullshit, of course, because that's exactly what they do. But um, don't bring in big, powerful um, political agencies. Solve it at the community level among yourselves. Take care of each other. The the I can't. He had some some expression for it. The community of the small something. I can't remember. We're all in this together. At the sort of. Sp- micro level so you have subsidiarity of tasks and what is that the dsa is precisely that like oh we have problems with people getting pulled over and getting hurt and taillights and then racism well what we will do we will just fix their tail lights, and that's our contribution that is absolutely subsidiarity and that is the conservative function of this crap social organizing it doesn't even know it but it's doing it the reality of neoliberalism are these diy yeah it's it's privatized social infrastructure yeah we don't have is... a public infrastructure anymore so they do this but um yeah i mean that that's actually a good example i wasn't expecting that we would get into like Saul alinsky but one thing on that um what did he do right before he died he started organizing shareholders to have an in a shareholder insurrections because usually you know management has taken over the mm-hmm. capitalist owner becomes a powerless mere rentier. And then you have people with a, a fractional margin of capital, just big enough to control corporations, the managerial elites or whatever. And then, you know, you have all these powerless shareholders don't even vote, just get dividends, maybe. And he's saying, let's organize these people because that's really um, that could really exercise some power. Well, then he just sort of mysteriously dies. Well, he mm-hmm. Um, he's not a socialist. So I understand why people wouldn't like him, but that's the most socialist idea I've ever heard. I've never heard a so-called Marxist say, Hey, you know what? Let's organize shareholders to stick it to management. That's thinking like a Marxist, you know, coming from, not coming from one. So I think he's interesting and uh, he's Mm -hmm. worth reading, but he's not going to solve all the problems because the context is different. And we need to, we need to think We need to not fall back on any of these ready-made things. We need to understand the situation that we're in now, and we need to build a a structure which can act
2: Mm. and
3: stop doing all of this silly, silly, you know, people are still saying things like we could learn from the civil rights movement. Bullshit. What we need (laughs) to do is get that out of our, just like purge that. So when you ask, for instance, not um,
4: purge the civil rights movement. (laughs)
3: Well, I mean, where where do we draw the line? Like,
4: wh- you didn't mean it like that. What
3: are the teams? I mean, you said recruit the working class. Recruit them into what? I mean, the reason why, the reason why, the reason why, you know, Recruit them into what? What is this thing even? Well,
1: Dan, I've got to say when I was like making minimum wage, you know, had like no bank account because like I was in such massive debt and like my life was just I didn't see it going anywhere. Like I would have loved having understanding that the system was rigged against me, against my family. I would have loved like just basic like organizing Or like, I would have loved any kind of like introduction to organizing for power, for working class power. And I think that we're really discounting that. Um, I don't think that the kind of political education that that we do in class unity or the DSA does for sure, is actually uh, designed for working class people. I don't think that and I've seen some good stuff come out of the labor movement, um, for sure, explaining like power analysis and then talking about like functionally how you can organize. But, uh, yeah, I think that just basic political education. And I think that to some extent, because it's really hard to get people to take time off away from their family, away from work or whatever, you're going to have to do a little bit of mutual aid as well. Like that's so why I'm not against break clinics, but the problem is that mm. it's not mutual aid and DSA, DSA is just charity, right? Because they this is a, see.
2: a very important point, right? That, that the, the, the very strange, uh, blinkers that people wear when it comes to this topic of, of mutual aid, um, insisting that it's not charity because we do it is
1: <laughs> mind-blowing to me.
2: An exercise it, it, in it, intellectual it, dishonesty is what it is. It is. I mean, I'm with you, Steph. I, um, I mean, I might not necessarily think mutual aid itself actually is the best approach to our politics, but my God, at least use the term correctly. If you want to do mutual aid, go live in a squat, be, be in a commune or a kibbutz or whatever, like have at it, like that's fine. If you wanna join Mondragon factory in uh, in Spain, great, right? But, but but understand the term, you know, it, it, it's not gi- giving out, um, you know, uh, reproductive health kits or something like this to to vagrants on the street, that's charity, I'm sorry.
1: Exactly. So I just wanted to say a little more about that. I mean, mutual aid is not an end. It's not an end. It's it's a means. It's, you know, it's a way to get people to, like, take you seriously because they're being sold all manner of, like, I don't know, like, they're, they're being exploited and, like, used by, like, every, like, by every sector of, like, uh, I don't know, like, you know, like the employing class, the, you know, like the, the state, you know, like they're being, they're called to to vote maybe, but yeah, like we'll talk more maybe about community organizing later and like the, like where it is ineffective, which is, I think I would say most of the time um, currently in, in this current landscape. But I, mutual aid is just a way to show people that you're legit, you know, that you understand you actually care about them, you're not just trying to brainwash them. Um and I think it also it's I mean churches do it. Churches are some of the only effective functioning institutions in America that actually do real community like uh I don't know, have like functioning community constituencies or whatever you would call them congregations that actually show up, pay money, you know, continue to go listen to the pastor. And I say this as a total atheist, but we need to take a few lessons from churches and how they organize. But
3: but their task is saving souls, right? Their task is saving souls, not changing anything fundamentally. But they're still
1: building community organizations and institutions, end.
3: I mean, I agree. No, we
1: need institutions in order to do something though. Like if we want people to strike, you know, you need an institution. If you want people to take to the streets, if you want people to vote, it should be a
3: means and not an end in itself agreed but the problem is that the people who engage in this stuff compulsively for them it is not about obtaining a goal which is political it's about satisfying their psychological needs a person has a bad conscience a middle-class person downwardly mobile who just wants a better job is you know the problem is in these circles is that there are the the ideology is a grab bag of conflicting commitments you know the person wants to be upwardly mobile they they want a better job but they're downwardly mobile and they have a bad conscience about the fact that they wish that they just had a better job so what do they do they change brake lights so it's satisfying a psychological need i'm not saying that it's impossible that it could become a means to a political end it just happens to be the case that every time anyone does that in this landmass it is just about their psychic economy and so it, it's it's pointless. I think most of community organizing has become that. And I think we should just forget it. And we should just build an organization which is capable of making power and acting.
4: So I, no matter what side you fall on, I think this is exactly the type of conversation that leads to the shit that we started this podcast to talk about.
2: All right. <laughs> which let, is let, that, drop it on uh, us.
4: You know, stuff like, let's just say, for example, Steph wants to organize some kind of uh, action that might resemble mutual aid. It's not, or, you know, people are arguing about whether or not it's mutual aid. People are arguing about, you know, I think it is mutual aid. Here's how we should change it so that it's not. And then all of a sudden you're at a meeting and you spend an hour arguing about what's mutual aid. I mean, we just had a 20 minute conversation conversation about what is mutual aid and i mean this that's the purpose of the podcast but i mean i i've certainly been in many meetings uh throughout my entire time you know in leftist organizations where it is this conversation over and over and i'm not saying that that's i mean these are some of the most well-respected people on the call you know i admire you so much as as thinkers and as organizers and um definitely
3: got to edit this part. out,
4: <laughs> but, but you know uh we get into meetings and we we bicker because there's only one one right way to do it and each of us knows what it is and they're all different and again then we don't even move forward. I mean months go by of I want to do this, you want to do that, let's vote, let's talk, Robert's rules, let's get on stack. Like,
3: well, what's the alternative? I mean, because we have to get clear on things and, and at least we're addressing them directly instead of saying, you know, you don't think that we should be helping people from getting beaten up by the cops. You're out, you're canceled, you're done. I so I,
4: like, I guess then my question would be, Daniel, you went to that meeting and there was nobody even near quorum and it still happened. Did the conversation resemble anything like, the conversation we just had about mutual aid or was it you know if you don't change brake lights then you're racist well right. it's
3: it's yeah. so dogmatic that you cannot think that it's a bad idea because i think what you're dealing with is like group psychology of the professional managerial class and what is that group psychology what you want above all is to be respected by peers you want to please people you don't want to disagree um and it's weird i know because there is so much disagreement among these things but everyone is sort of seeking out confirmation and seeking out recognition that in my experience no that that was totally different than this because here i can say to you like this is all a waste of time and we should really just pull the plug on this and because it's it's obviously not going to work um and and that that could never happen there. I mean, there. Um, I mean, it's imp- it's impossible, almost even to describe the way that it was. Just so glaringly, you know, it's it's just secular church there.
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm,
3: but mm-hmm. I mean, if we don't allow ourselves to disagree enough to try to get clear on things, then I mean, what's the point? What what is the alternative?
4: I mean, I think compromise is something that is completely missing from all of these organizations. I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen a true compromise. And I will say most recently, uh, you know, class unity really struggled with the question of what do we do about the conflict in Gaza? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how do we how do we do we talk about our our stance on this when it is such a nuanced issue and we want to respect our membership? And, you know, that was a conversation that was hard. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. hard, like Mm -hmm. Mm a lot of conversations that were hard. But I do think at the end, you know, that was one of the times where we did a great job of compromising. Everybody got together and they said look, these are the things that I absolutely don't want. These are the things that I absolutely want. Where can we meet in the middle? And I think that's the kind of conversation that needs to happen more often because Mm -hmm. then you do walk out of the meeting having... Having accomplished something, we walked into the meeting with a statement. No,
3: this is the thing. I think this is the waste of time. All these people coming together to issue a statement on something which they cannot change. Well, because it's not in their power because they haven't done the work to build an organization which can do a damn thing. And what they want to do is let some they want to let get it off their chest. They want to let some steam out like you know some people die in the middle east and god damn it we're going to write a statement and we're going to let everyone know how we feel and you know what no one cares let's no one say, cares
4: but let's say it's not frustrating well, the like i really I, I didn't i guess i more just meant uh,
3: we didn't accomplish anything people came to an agreement about a statement and we don't seem capable of uh, controlling ourselves about what to do i mean this seems I, like typical I, well, leftist so oh, i'm on it the does other side.
2: it does depend on your theory of change here on this issue, and 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 I would just venture the idea that I think broadly, you're right. There's not a whole lot that um, people who object to this conflict in the United States can do or in Ireland or Australia or anywhere outside of the United States. There's not a whole lot they can immediately do. It's a war that's going on in a place quite far away from where we are. Um, that said, um, I, I do think uh sometimes electoral politics matter i think uh biden is uh really um t- 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 risking taking stretching his electoral support to the point of breaking on this issue he's already got a lot of problems um he's betrayed the working class multiple times um centrists are furious with how he left afghanistan um, he himself is very old and possibly senile, uh, or at least in the early stages of beyond that. We that. did uh, really the first time, and um, I just think this particular issue—it's it, it, beyond the pit. Pe- like it, it, it's just one of those things that people are, are are shocked by, you know. And I know, I know, there's a lot, and, and justifiably so, there's a lot of bad memories out there about not in our name and the failure of the protest movements in 2001 to 2003. Precisely. Some of the largest protests that have ever happened in U S history at that point in time, at least, uh, um, topped only by the more recent black lives matter stuff. Um, and they completely failed to stop the war. That's true. But that was largely an anti-war movement trying to fight a majority u.s electoral position that was that that ended up because the u.s had been attacked and there was a perception that the u.s had been attacked by al-qaeda uh for for very sort of binary reasons um that uh you know bush was able to capitalize it electorally right but this is a very messy situation compared to that electorally um biden um is nominally the leader of a party that is supposed to be opposed to this sort of thing and you're actually seeing republicans sounding like they're making more sense on it some of them at this stage certainly on ukraine um i don't know i i feel i feel organizing around this issue might just be one of those rare exceptions to the rule where that sort of insider outsider model um as jaded as it is it it, it's sometimes some you know there's still, still, still some energy left in it, um, and uh, I think a successful campaign around this could could be devastating for the Democratic Party. Now, of course, people I've seen people on Twitter, people like Doug Lane respond. Well, what do you want to do? Just elect Trump? I mean, I think that's a very good question, a very important question in terms of like concrete alternatives. Uh, but I do think there's a real weakness here for the Democrats on this. I do. So...
3: Example you brought up is really, really is the one that's been in the back of my mind this whole time. Okay, go for it. So my political, the moment I came online politically was the Iraq war and all that stuff in high school. And um, so all these people came out of the woodwork to protest the invasion of Iraq, fake bullshit war. And it was obvious. Um, And millions of people amassed all over London, throughout America, you know, and George Bush and Tony Blair get on the news and say, you know what, this is great, actually. It's great that you're protesting. That's you exercising your liberty. And you know what, that's why we're invading Iraq, so that they can do it too. And when they did that, it's genius. When they did that, what they did was to take the very nature out of protest. They denatured it. They stole the essence. They completely, permanently undermined it because when protesting government action becomes the reason for the government's action which you're protesting what you that's the moment when you just need to have that cold hard recognition this technique is done it's done you if you keep doing this after this point you're just fucking wasting your time
1: Dan what are you talking about like how can you think like so you don't believe that amassing like bringing like like half a million people to the streets actually puts like didn't work it didn't work because because the majority didn't feel that way but if you it it didn't it doesn't mean it didn't have potential um there's massive potential in get it's just that the rest of the country felt so that were so diametrically opposed, they were like, what are you talking about? I mean, there were like people today who claim that they are, I I don't know, like people who definitely were like very invested in uh, anti-racist this, you know, uh, anti-Islamophobic this for like after Bush got out of office between uh, you know, especially during the Trump years, but even before, during Obama, who who wanted to reverse all of those policies, who were totally on board with the Iraq War. It's just, I think that because of how badly this bullshit war went, um, despite all of the and, and the and just, I guess, widespread approval despite these mass uh, these mass mobilizations. I, I think that there's more skepticism skepticism now uh, amongst Republicans and, and Dems about our involvement. And I think that's very clear when you look at why people like the, the fact that no one now admits that they support their Iraq war, that, mm-hmm. you know, like the this, the the support for Trump. Uh, a lot of this has to do with uh, a real skepticism a about. Point. Yeah, about new conservative conservative policy and um, Trump's
2: America first agenda it is designed from the bottom up quite intentionally to fill a massive chasm in the foreign policy debate that most Americans are find very attractive. And and if foreign policy was a, just a teeny bit more democratic in this country, that's that's the direction we'd be going in. I hate to tell you, you know. But it's and, not. And, 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 go ahead. But it's not. I mean. What? It-
3: it's not. It's dem- not
2: democratic. If it were yeah.
3: democratic, we wouldn't have any work to
2: do. I mean, I okay, go. But but my question for you, Daniel, if I may, in all seriousness, and to be frank, um, I, uh, I I think in the final instance, my politics are very aligned with yours. Um, I believe that a class first politics is the way forward. It's 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 absolutely where the vast majority of our energies ought to be. I do, however, think part of that is connected to having a certain sensitivity to, um, well, let's face it, uh, to to the idea that ordinary people are actually smart. You know, ordinary working class Americans have a brain. And I I do, in that sense, unapologetically subscribe to the idea of left populism, right? Late, Late 19th century, You know, Knights of Labour, I do subscribe to Thomas Frank's sort of historical account of the possibilities of that moment. Um, So every so often an issue surfaces where you can, I think, um, create momentum. It happened in 2016 with the Bernie movement. Was there a working class movement really there to, to support that? No, but as Steph was just implying energies linger out of a wave like that and a lot of what we are today and the discussion that we're having right now would not be taking place had it not been for the 2016 bernie movement even though it failed and it failed for all the reasons you have so eloquently articulated here with us today right because we don't have that support but that doesn't mean it has no consequence that doesn't mean it has no effects and so i just i think sometimes there are exceptions to the rule i campaign for bernie I'm fully aware that it failed. I'm fully aware of the flaws with DSA, but you know, there's a certain kind of like fail better kind of idea that that sometimes matters in these conversations. And I'm kind of in in an odd way. I'm kind of glad that the DSA happened because it showed us how much harder we have to work, and it showed us how strategically wrong we've been, how we need to rethink our approach. But we wouldn't be having this conversation like. Uh, not to sound too dialectical about it, but it was a necessary fuck up. Like, you you, you have to make these mistakes sometimes. That's It's just that simple, because not everyone knows what you know,
3: right? Well, okay, so I don't think most people are stupid, if that's what you're suggesting. No,
2: um, I'm not. I just literally said the opposite. Before you
3: said the working class, this and that. But, I mean, compare, for instance, the anti-war movement in the 1960s and the anti-war movement in 2001-03. Um It could work back then because the federal government was counting on drawing people from the population as soldiers, drafting them. And when they all got together and said, no, fuck you, um, that gummed up the works of the war operation. And so they had to change their procedure. Um, After the military was totally privatized and it's all voluntary basis now, you just have the permanently unemployed sucked into the military, poor people do it, don't need to worry about it. And so now when you protest the war, Great. Just go to the designated protesting area. I mean, that's what happened. I remember hearing about this and, you know, during the protests. Well, you just go to the designated protesting area. That's where you're allowed to protest. Go display your conscience over there. That's fantastic. You're exercising your liberty. Look how free we are. And so um, it doesn't work. And the difference is that because it's because in the 60s, protest was gumming up the works of the system because they needed those people to be soldiers and in 2003 it wasn't coming up the works cuz they didn't need those people to be soldiers and so you can celebrate protest even the establishment celebrates protest so they've integrated the they've integrated the opposition in a way which neutralizes it and so when leftists keep celebrating this stuff i think you know that's when the question comes back like when do we pull the plug like how much is enough
2: yeah well, I, I mean, that's hard to disagree. Part also, of stuff, I think go the ahead.
3: struggle session thing is good.
2: <laughs>
1: okay. We can, Yeah, we can read Brenda as a debate. But, like, right. Dan, I mean, there is a consequence to protesting today. And there was in 2003 as well. People were fired. And, you know, like, they're absolutely, like, there there is a consequence. I think that what it, it would be, I think, negligent to know that most Americans are substantially less confident in government and our government's uh, geopolitical agenda than they were in 2003 and then to not actually, like, take a position on what's happening. I mean, you, you know, like, yeah, people aren't being drafted, but that doesn't mean that huge, massive amounts of money aren't going to fund these adventures, it doesn't mean that the the left hasn't been obliterated in in the Middle East um, precisely because of this geopolitical agenda. Uh, And, you know, obviously the Hamas is not the the left, but, like, I I don't want to get into that. But, like, I mean, like, there is... I I don't know, like, if you... What you... What you think we should be doing when you know that so many... Well, we know that so many working class people might say, yeah, you know, I, uh, think it's horrible about what happened on October 7th or whenever that was. Um, but, uh, I, I, am like very skeptical about how much money the U S is spending. And I really, I, you know, I don't like the bombing of hospitals. You, you don't like, what do you think we should be doing about that? I mean, this is like this is a an example of where this stat, political establishment's agenda is is not in alignment. They have not been able to convince people of uh the 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 soundness of their agenda. And I think they were able to do that in the early two thousands, and they're not able to do that now. And I think that go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. I just I'm just saying what what should we be doing? If I mean, should we be doing nothing? I I don't. I definitely don't think that like we should as leftists devote all of our energy to this. It's crazy. Like this happened with George Floyd, too. Like Right. I remember there was a group called Rock, a restaurant organizing committee, which is they work with restaurant workers who are not unionized. They get them to do like a workplace organizing, that kind of thing, and um the day before, I think, uh, so they were, everyone's been forced to go back to work in 2020, um, on patios, right? Like, and if they didn't go back to work, like this was peak COVID, right? If they didn't go back to work, then they were accused of job abandonment and they lost their job. Right. But like, um, you know, so like there, there's something to organize around, but I remember this group Rock in DC, which, which, you know, they're a great group. I remember them going, okay, uh, we were supposed to have like this big, like thing, like this, uh, like action and like this petition. And we were getting the county council involved because the mayor had like, uh, opened these restaurant patios back up and stuff. And then like they totally dropped it because of George Floyd protests. So that's just like something that we always have to contend with on the so-called, with the so-called left today, that uh, certain very, I don't know, the more symbolic, the the kind of the cause, <laughs> you know, or the more removed from like every like working class, everyday working class reality, the cause, the more they're going to be wholly, wholly immerse themselves in it. And um, I personally think we should do direct organizing like what people are doing for Gaza around work issues. Every time you hear about people getting fired, every time you hear about mass layoffs, you hear about union busting, you hear about a candle factory in Kentucky that burns down and they told the workers to stay inside. That happened like a few years ago. There should be mass mobilization of hundreds of thousands of people on the street. I really do believe in direct action. I just don't think that we have a strategy here.
4: Well, I, w- I guess I was just gonna say that, um after after the war on terror, uh, a lot of information came out about spending about uh spending that that couldn't be traced to the Pentagon right uh, spending that was going towards contractors. Uh, people, I think at that point, it was different because they, maybe for the first time properly saw how much uh, the private sector is involved in war and in geopolitical decisions in general. And so now, I guess, if we're if the feeling is protesting is maybe not as effective, then, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast, was um, – You know, then it's about redirecting towards the private sector, you know, even if it is government issues, recognizing that BP and Exxon are huge benefit or I don't off the top of my head, I would assume they're huge benefactors of this conflict um, in Gaza. So, you know, how do we go after BP and, and Exxon? Um, as opposed, you know, organizing the streets, i I think personally is meaningful, just as even just to radicalize people that are sitting in their house that never read the news, uh, I think that that's really valuable. But then, yeah, I guess if we want to talk about effective organizing and the, the question of protesting, it definitely serves a different role than it did before it, did, it serves a different role than it did in the 60s uh but i don't think that yeah i guess i don't really know i that, that that's really all i wanted to say just that i think the private sector plays such a bigger role this time around and any kind of organizing is that's effective will have absolutely have to take that into account yes
3: for a marxist It's about the private sector because it's about capital. And so that's a good, important distinction when you have all of these self-designating leftists just talking about the state. Well, that could be recognized as drawing a clear distinction between these different kinds of groups. You have people, they're basically liberals, and they're just indignant about what the state does. Then you have this other group of people, which is what you're pointing at, and they realize that the state is a sort of, what does Marx call it, a committee for the organized
2: executive committee of the bourgeoisie.
3: Yeah, the interests of the bourgeoisie. Yes. Yeah. So and so, distinct, distinguishing, and realizing that the the real prime mover is in the private sector. Yeah, that yes. would be great. That would be great. But the problem is that you know now we have this privately incorporated permanent permanent war economy um, for a long time, for a very 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 long time. And so the thing is, it'll work even if you don't believe in it, even if you're skeptical, even if you know. So so increasing amounts of skepticism that's not necessarily progress because it works even if you don't believe in it. It works even if you, everyone dislikes it, because for example, the, again, the, the the difference between protesting in the sixties versus today, um, they don't need you to, dra- to draft you. So go ahead and protest. It doesn't matter. You know, they don't need you to believe in them. It doesn't make a difference. Your mental states don't change things in the world. And so it's fine. Right. And so we're barking up the wrong tree. If we yeah. think that, making people feel more skeptical about um, things is the solution. I don't think it is the solution. I mean also why protest at all? Protest really becomes a thing in the 1960s, it seems like and and that's a big shift from the old left. the old left's action was not protest, but the old, but bringing capital to a grinding halt through the strike. Now that's, that's, fair. that's a pretty that's a pretty striking difference in, that's in, fair. why did the technique change Well, the people changed? The people changed. The left became
2: middle class. The Alinskyites took over. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, joke. I'm not. It's a joke, but I mean, it's it's that that's kind of the criticism, isn't it? Is that that's where we took a Yeah, the but the left turn.
3: itself actually changed. I think, right? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the labor. That's the labor fair. force in America changed with a changing composition of. You're right. You're,
1: right. You're da- right. Daniel, you know that Marx was obviously wouldn't probably. He wouldn't have existed as we know him if it hadn't been for the Chartist movement. There were strikes, but a lot of it was just random take like taking in the streets en masse and causing and causing chaos. Like, you know, like this not even causing chaos. I'm not I'm not but like, you know, basically <laughs> showing that the numbers were there. Like these like uh you know, the the these mass petitions that would then be like delivered. This came out of I think this it goes back to like the English Civil War, like 200 years before. But like, this was very effective, I think, in the building of working class consciousness and working class, like movement infrastructure in England. And I don't think that Marx would have even existed, and you know, to the extent that we know him today, if it hadn't been for this movement, he was incredibly influenced by it and the potential. So I just don't, and then thinking about like also like the, you know like the unemployment strikes or the basically these weren't strikes you know like from the 1930s the homelessness uh and unemployment strikes that the cpusa held like we're talking about i mean i don't know like a hundred thousand people on the street or, or i don't know maybe it was a little less maybe it was more like a, i don't know but def- tens and tens of thousands of people on the street uh, this definitely did impact. Um, I mean, not only did it like help the CPUSA with their base building and help with radicalization, but it definitely influenced housing policy to some extent during the Depression. So I just don't. I don't. I don't know. I I don't buy it. I don't see how. I I see how quickly the move to capture these these like mass uprisings happens. And so if it didn't present a threat, why would why would that happen? Why would they try to capture? Like, I mean, are the mass
3: uprisings authentic to begin with? I mean, it depends which ones. We have to be more concrete. The I Chartist
1: think. movements. Oh, I see. M- and and yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there's questions about BLM, of course. But I will say that, like, the protests I went to in Laf- Lafayette Square, um, like when Trump came out and held the Bible, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that was actually very well organized at all. That was just a bunch of people who were at home because of COVID. And I, I mean, I, I have, I've been to many, so many protests in my life, I can't count. And the the organizational um, presence there was, it was like, it was very, very low. It was very low. And I mean, that's, that's like, uh, part of the issue, though, right? The fact that the left doesn't know to go or if they are going to protest, there's a thing where they're like, we're going in solidarity, we can't actually talk about what we're doing. There was like, yeah, that's a whole separate issue. But no, I think that there's a lot of value in getting people out on the streets, not just to show them that they can, uh, you know, assert power, and that you know, uh, they 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 should. Um, but, uh, and and, not, and also because it builds base, it builds trust. You know, you're out there with people, you're risking arrest and, you know, you start to trust them more and all the shit, like the identity politics, all that stuff, it goes out the window. It wasn't there that night in Lafayette Square when I was out there with the, some of the You know, it was a George Floyd protest, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that BLM like was really. It was very much an organic kind of thing. It seemed, Um, but of course, like the next day, like everyone from my like bougie job showed up because of what happened, and all the politicians showed up, and they all went out there, and they were all protesting for like a week straight. So that that movement was captured. uh, Just you know, whether regardless of how organic it was or not, I would say that that particular um, co- collection of p- gathering of people was pretty organic, but um, like it was captured with lightning speed. And I think that, um, that the fact that this happens, that, you know, that it can be explained away, justified, captured shows that there is potential there. And I don't know what you want, like, what should people do if they work at McDonald's? I mean, their robots are going to take their jobs. So what is the future then of for 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 collective action and resistance like for working class people like
3: okay what can we do or what can be done what should be done okay let's talk about that um you know there's this so long before okay long before he was very well known there was some essay by lenin like 1900 and he says it's i think it's the urgent tasks of our movement and i'm not like a lenin fanatic or whatever i just i read this for something and he, he made this great statement where he said Social democracy is the labor movement, the the movement of workers for their own interests, plus the movement for socialism, intellectual workers. So basically manual and intellectual labor, a coalition of them together. Um, And that's that's what it was. And that was the only way it was going to work. And that's not the way it is anymore. The left just is only intellectuals and middle class people. The manual part is gone. it's been lost. It's been totally lost and 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 the and what remains to the left middle class intellectuals, they're not even interested in getting it back. They hate those people. And so when you say I was down on my luck, I was you know, in debt working on a hard job, and I would have loved to find an organization where I could come into and try to understand the world around me, I don't think that's right. I think. I think a lot of people who work for wages don't want to mess with that stuff because they know it's a waste of time. It's a therapy group for, for middle-class intellectuals who are coping. And, and, you know, because a lot of these groups, they don't even really try to understand the world. I mean, you can criticize, you know, reading Marx or political economy because it is kind of hard, but, um, but, you know, understanding the world is an important thing. And, and, and um, I mean, most leftist groups don't actually try to do that. They'll just read the latest sort of latest hot take um, thing. And, and, and that really goes nowhere. So I think what can we do, uh, given the fact that social democracy, as it was imagined, you know, a coalition of manual and intellectual laborers, new intelligentsia, whatever you want to call them, is done. Um, um, well, we can be honest about what we have. What do we have? We have people with skills. We have people with incredible skills, incredible. If we can just be honest about what it is and what can be done. I'll give you an example from Socialist Alternative. I was briefly in that organization, waste of time. Um, (laughs) They had so many talented people, talented in a specific way. Like, okay, no one was a, maybe no one was a great cook. No one was a great, um, jiu-jitsu person whatever you call them like everyone had their own thing that they were good at and if they had had a good um, leadership they would have found a way to put all of that skill to work in a coordinated way but what did they do no they forced everyone to go sell newspapers anyone can sell a newspaper and just chat about people's grievances and they they made they made people they made it's just, they wasted, they just wasted the energy because what they wanted was a sort of community where people bond over this task. And it's a kind of self-help group. It was, they wanted a bunch of followers and and they didn't exercise leadership in a way which could use their skills. Well, what should we do if not hold these protests? Like for instance, abolish the police. It's never gonna happen as long as capital is privately owned. Um, What if not that? Build an organization. Build a real organization. And that starts with, you know, building a hierarchical structure where information goes up, funding goes up, commands go down, it has to be responsible, it has to be accountable, and mm-hmm. and and get out of the duopoly patronage networks because it is ultimately about influence. And uh that's possible. That's not impossible.
4: Dan, can... Sorry, go ahead, yeah, Steph. I, yeah, I do want to I come mean,
2: back in on that if I okay. later.
1: I mean, like, so, well, first of all, regarding the personal story I shared, I, I think that most people actually don't know that. I mean, things have changed. People are like really into politics now, like, whereas people are uh, 90s were just anti politics. It was like there was a culture of anti politics, it seemed. Um, but like, no, I, I, yeah, I don't think that most people know that there is, I don't think most people know the first thing about trade unionism, uh, how to organize, power analysis, the history of the left. They don't know anything about it. So I disagree that people are like just going to be naturally skeptical. That's not my experience. I think that they should be, though, because I don't think that we have these organizations, uh, like we don't have anything resembling what could be an organization that a working class person would be able to enter, um, learn from and participate in and actually s- stay in. Um, I think that we need to build organizations, but how do you, how do you do that? Like you, you need a base. How do you, how do you have a base? You recruit them. You do, you know, you've got to do more than just teach people, Marx, you have to teach some practical organizing skills. We talk about Alinsky not because he was some great Marxist thinker, but because he actually affected real change. Because he was, uh, he he was an amazing organizer. There's something to be learned from that. Um, most a lot of people don't even know you can visit like your city council. They don't know like the first few things. Like they don't know about organizing a labor union. They don't know what the what like they, there's not a lot of understanding of like civil civil liberty, liberties and like how the system works. And I think that there's a lot to be said from practical, like from teaching, pra- a lot to be learned from teaching practical organizing. Um, and I think that there's a hu- huge dearth of that on the left. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying we should do that like in like totally independent of uh, Marxist theory. I think that, but I think we certainly should make our Marxist theory, Accessible, and I think we can. I think people have done it for uh, uh, almost hundreds of years now. At this point, I don't see why we should be any different. Why it should be so hard for us? But yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that we need to build a base for sure. Uh, I think that community organizing, and when I say that it's important, it's not because it's going well. I think most community organizing is essentially like a, it's an appendage of like what we call the Iron Triangle, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, because the only people who have time to to do it and have the know-how again because the left is not invested yeah exactly like they are like you know upwardly mobile um people from the community uh sometimes scions of the community (laughs) like the like the very impoverished community and um they are really just uh they're they're in a way forced to parlay this experience into like a career. Um, And it's just like this circular kind of like, I don't know, it's a pipeline, right? It's these community organizations serve as a pipeline to like big NGO, um, the big NGO field. And that's the problem because that's where they're getting their funding from. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing community organizing. That's where all politics are local, right?
3: Agreed, agreed. That's great. Okay, what we can do is build an alternative patronage network so that we don't rely on those things. So it doesn't funnel into the NGO industrial complex. That's something we can do. That is something I mean, one I
1: totally do. agree. Yes, we should be doing that. Absolutely. And um, I mean, we can get money from NGOs, we just don't have to, we have to, no strings attached, you know, like, that's the problem. Who's because the problem that, is, though? these can be, oh, lots of people. There are yeah, so many. No strings attached? Yeah, yeah. Give it major to me. donations.
2: Give it to me whatever you get.
1: No, you guys, you guys don't <laughs> understand how uh, much hackable it is.
2: It's hackable. The, the, it- the patronage system.
1: People th- like to put money out there to cause chaos. Ka- like their their calculus is that you know they're hurting the left by splitting the left or something like that. You get money from those people. They're not going to ask questions. We're talking about major donations. There are other groups that are, um, like little foundations and grants and grant, whatever, uh, organizations that make sub grants and stuff that do have like very, uh, progressive, sometimes Marxist staff who basically like have these golden handcuffs on, but sometimes they'll make small grants. I mean, there is money out there to be had and it's, it's not, uh, we just, we haven't taken it on the left because we think it will... It will taint us and that's stupid that's no way to look at things um
4: i mean you look at i actually recently was looking at uh before the whole epstein i mean recently this epstein blow up with rfk jr but before that i was looking at uh donations uh between rfk jr and biden and i mean you look at who's donating those to those two candidates and you'd be surprised definitely i mean i and i think i mean that's a lot more high that's a lot higher any state. standout
2: examples for you or uh what, what off
4: the top what? of my head I, I can't remember um but uh
2: you mean like sort of prominent organizations or individuals were mm-hmm. to RFK? yeah and that's
4: all that's so you- another thing like that's totally accessible online like takes you two minutes to find right um but you know that's the presidential election i mean if class unity was running someone for for like a community position i mean come on like Know Uh, or if any left is
2: trying to suggest that that I take more of a role, uh, Katie, but I was not born in uh, (laughs) the United States, so I'm afraid uh, it will have to be one of you. But I appreciate the sentiment,
4: (laughs) unfortunately. uh, If I stopped getting coffees, I don't think it would be enough to get you elected. (laughs) You're not lovely, (laughs) thank you. Um
2: the organizing point is so fascinating. I, I think, Steph. I think your your intuition is right. I also agree with a lot of the points Diana's been making, and it seems to me a kind of a an ecumenical approach is is somewhat called for. Um, you know, the, the the community organizing thing. There's a little sort of uninformed, theoretically uninformed part of my brain that's sort of perpetually ticking over this idea. And I, and I've, I've never really been able to fully put it to rest since becoming a leftist, so to speak, but you know, the, the, I think mess the messaging is a, is a really important aspect of this and that that's, uh, to me, it's always, that's why unions work because workers have the sort of coal face experience of life in capital and the problem ultimately with capital which is that it takes away our rights right it it's it's not just where, as Marxists it's not simply that we want to be repatriated with um xyz amount of expropriated wealth and that's the end of the story I mean some Marxists I think take it that direction um but we understand that capitalism is power and it's perpetuated precisely for that reason, because it maintains the status quo, and 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 the insertion of capital in that sense into, I guess I'm kind of somewhat paraphrasing someone like Chris Catron here a little bit, but you know, insertion of capitalism into bourgeois democracy is the problem, right? That bourgeois democracy cannot really come to completion until capitalism is resolved. Workers will get that, will appreciate that, will understand that in a much richer way because of their experience than whole communities to, to get back to Olinsky, But that's not to say that you can't parlay that messaging into community organizing. And I think, I guess that just, again, that 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 part of my mind that sort of doesn't fully shut up on this is, is just that idea that there are occasionally opportunities that emerge in and around anti-war, um, that can have unpredictable effects downstream. Um, I know I, I'm here with you today. I'm a leftist today because of my opposition to that war a long time ago and reading a shitload of Chomsky. <laughs> um, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the most, um, elegant way to become a leftist
1: it's such a common way to become a leftist Nick that's so exactly.
4: true actually yeah. I when I again yeah. when I first met Steph I was <laughs> a, a baby child and I remember I got home it was like the second time we had hung out my cat was asleep on uh on Chomsky and I sent her a picture and I was like haha, look at this nowadays I'm like I don't know if I would really highlight that personally, but um, I guess in terms of I, I do like briefly. I guess going back to our very the very first prompt, the downstream effects. There's not much happening right now. I think we can all agree on that. Like not a ton. That looks like a accessible avenue for for change Mm -hmm. that we could pursue but that and i'll make it i'll make a uh, controversial case for bullshit meetings i do think you know there's something to be said about going to a bar afterwards and like having drinks with friends and and chatting about being a leftist and just maintaining a network of people that think the way that you do and you you're continually exposed to new ideas and looking at current events in a different way and then when the time comes that something does come around i'm not saying we should wait but something big does come around then we've got a base that we've kept engaged and you know i think if we're being realistic if we don't have the time and we don't have the opportunity then like can we do well at the very base of things we could stay as a community and just build our community and build our relationships with one another i don't yeah
3: one thing i think one very true thing that i think was just expressed is that indeed now is not a good time the climate is bad the temperature has changed it's not a you know like all this political activity is decelerating and vanishing and that's definitely true It's definitely true. And I think what we need to do is to be honest about that and not look for like, because that might motivate you to say, Oh, my God, it's a catastrophe. Everything's becoming so reactionary. And, uh, you know, people are being demobilized. Oh, my God, we got to find something quick. And that's how you get straight into this busy work waste of time thing. It might be worth pausing, taking, stepping back saying, indeed, nothing is nothing real is happening. And Find. build build your organization make your contacts and make your networks and build a durable institution that can be personal relationships that's great but indeed the time is not it's not it's not it's not 2016 it's not 2020 and like all of this political stuff is just rapidly vanishing um bernie's not even bernie like some you know so it's true It's true. But we can, we can deal with that. I think, honestly, without going down the bad paths.
1: Well, I think that that's, it's good, because we have about 25 years of work of straight base building, just that we need to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything else. Like there's plenty of things we can do. But without a base, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. Like, That's, I think that that's, that's the issue, you know? And I think that we used to rely on like, like what the, the kind of movement building that had happened decades before. And then you, you know, you you understand the landscape and you're kind of moving those people through coalition building through like uh, joint campaigns and stuff over to your, your org. But um, I just, I think the so-called organizing that was happening in 2016, 2020. I mean, most of us people, a lot of them are totally, totally burned out and jaded because of how dysfunctional and how, uh, worthless, <laughs> like engaging with the movement was at the time. I don't think that people learned a lot that they actually, um, feel like, you know, feel like equips them to actually continue to to fight the, the good fight. I think that most people burned out or they've like, they're doing... I don't know. They're, they're, they have some kind of pet project they're doing. I've had people drop out of class unity because they're more interested. They're like, look, I prefer for there to be trees on my street than to do this stuff. You know, like, I'm like, you know, so you have like all manner of reactions to like, I think the failures of the last, uh, I don't know, I guess the, the last, uh, seven years. But, um, I, I think that yeah, I think that we really you can't skip the base building. Like people became like there was massive like changes like in in the population, the way people conceived of politics and the way people conceived of political change between like I would say the, the 60s and 70s, which is um yeah, that was the beginning of the the, the new left, but I think that Aw, cute. <laughs> Katie, uh just Sorry not us the cat. No, 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 <laughs> no. We're editing
2: this part out. Of...
1: No, no, no. We've gotta <laughs> we've gotta describe the cat. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, one thing we talked about earlier was compromise. And Daniel, we talked about like the whole Gaza statement thing and what a headache that was in class unity. But there's something to be said for modeling compromise because that's something people don't know how to do on the american left. And people might say that the left has never understood like how to actually effectively implement compromise as a practice or as like a you know or like a culture of compromise. But I think that we I think that if we can actually get to like a point where people aren't quitting over something and seriously withdrawing and come to some kind of um consensus, it, it can be worth it. I mean, we don't want to it to be like that much of a challenge every time but i i think that there needs to be a lot of culture building um i yeah, don't
3: know yeah i on this business about burnout i think well i just want to say i think that the function of leftist busy work is to burn people out
2: that's the yeah point. i agree with that
3: corral them in them. corral them in they're, they're re- roaring ready to go like let's let's you know bernie sanders says we need a revolution and everybody's like oh yeah okay suddenly all these people you never thought existed millions of people vote for him uh what do you do here quick change these brake lights and then suddenly everyone's like oh my god fuck this i'm going back to nintendo or whatever kids do these days um <laughs> you know uh well, I know.
1: worse yeah we'll change these brake lights but don't even talk but you know but like change these brake lights and like talk to you know talk to the guy that you're changing the brake lights for insert and then-
3: insert task here. I mean, that's just my go-to yeah. make fun
1: of. Okay. Um,
3: but I'm just saying like, we must be wary of busy work because that is the sort of automatic controlled opposition function thing. That's what mm. destroys it. That's what prevents anything from happening. Oh, you've got all this momentum here. Quick move this pile of sand with tweezers here. Quick yeah. a hole through this mountain with a, with a needle, you know? So busy work is what, burns people out. And then that's how you lose good people, people Mm. who know how to do things that you need people
2: to do, which is, I mean, um, you know, one of the things I just uh, an example I wanted to bring up in this conversation before we say goodbye today. And I know we're kind of at that two hour mark. So it's apologies to the listeners at home or out walking your dogs and your uh, your earpod headphones are now giving you a migraine. Continue. You can hear
4: the drop in our blood sugar.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I there's it, it. It's not a an oppositional point, point as a, as much as a supplementary point. Uh, I would just say, you know, also it's not just that busy work's the problem. It's busy work aligned with goals that have absolutely no fucking relevance to any kind of working class demand. I mean. I I mean, I'll say personally, I think the war relates to capitalism in kind of obvious ways. But when I think about some of the environmentalist um, kind of argumentation that goes on, or some of the more extreme racial slash identity-based demands, when the objective appears to be ultimately pointless condescension towards working the working class, that's where I think you really have to abandon ship you know that's it's it's not just about pointless work at that stage it's about some kind of other pathology that you know you just can't even like that's where community organizing i think really ends up in 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 hot water because it's lionized the method as opposed to um the the content um
3: it's on the wrong side
2: it's literally on the wrong side you know we saw this locally with um some opposition we had to the, um, I've mentioned this on on this podcast before, but Elon Musk is, and SpaceX are building a, a launch site down here in Texas near where I live. And it's just perpetually amazing to me the amount of left-wing groups that have come out literally trying to stop the construction of this thing. And it's like, you, you guys, that's not happening. The community believes the working class community here believe that this is bringing in much needed capital into an area that has been basically systematically abandoned by the American political economy. Uh, poverty down here is endemic. Um, the tax base is minuscule. Um, a lot of the money that's here is money that's getting laundered, uh, by cartels in North Mexico. And um, you do kind of have to ask what would begin to construct some kind of working class in the, in the, in the area where I live. And it's just not going to happen without major influx of capital. Uh, now, admittedly, there's big problems with the way SpaceX has been rolled out. The Elon Musk secured major tax breaks um, from the city of Brownsville in order to, to do what he's doing. And that's a problem. Um, You know, the lack of, uh, the lack, the lack of, um, modestly affordable housing and subsidized rent in the area is an issue as property prices soar because so many people are moving into the area from outside of the area in order to work at SpaceX. That's a big problem. Uh, people are being priced out, but these are demands that should be prioritized that's not what's happening. instead you have these very vague, uh, claims about indigeneity when in fact there's very little evidence that there were in any indigenous people living, if any, or, or, if there were, they were people who didn't arrive in the air until the late 19th century. Um, but somehow they, they, they fall under this rubric. Um, vague claims about environmental responsibility when in fact I think SpaceX is is doing a reasonably good job at, at balancing some of those demands already and of course it all just falls flat with the local community uh, so you know things like that have to be have to be addressed you know we're not going to get anywhere yeah you know, that's not just busy work but it's busy work as you said done on the wrong side in my opinion
4: um. Can I share a work experience? So, uh, I was working for Medi- Medicare for All working group, DSA, and uh, um, I w- Medicare for All, uh, for one reason or another that's still unclear to me, we decided our focus was Cuba. And <laughs> so, uh, it, it tied into the fact that la, people la, in cuba la, 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 la. <laughs> tied into the fact that pe- people in cuba don't have great healthcare <laughs>
1: well oh my goodness which is true it's true uh, but katie the the person who was running medicare for all at the time was also heavily invested in cuba work and she was on the international in the international Uh, working group so that was her big thing so it was just a vehicle to do her international working group stuff
4: well just you wait until you hear the rest of this story because it's gonna get even better I had no idea wow so um all right so they decided we need to raise awareness of the fact that people don't have great healthcare in Cuba and also um make a call to Biden to, you know, lift some of the trade limitations. So I'll give him credit. We actually ended up uh, reaching out to belly of the beast, which is one of the the biggest um, Cuba coverage, Cuba, Cuban based kind of uh, radical coverage outlet and code pink. And the three of us, we worked together, and the big plan was to release a video on Valentine's Day. And then there was going to be a social campaign centered around the theme of Valentine's Day uh, about, like, sending your love to Cuba. So uh, we're working on this. All the while, someone decides, you know it would be great as if we went to Cuba. uh and there's someone that we know in cuba that we could talk to and just establish like a relationship and so uh we spent months figuring out how to fundraise to send these kids to cuba for a free vacation essentially um they had me putting together social media posts for valentine's Day. Uh, and then, after months of working on this video, the night before Valentine's Day, uh, someone on the, someone in leadership at DSA who is not at all involved with Medicare for All, found out that we co-produced a video with Code Pink. Well, recently, someone not even remotely involved in the video, who I've never even heard of had gotten accused of sexual assault, just allegations. And so they said, uh, you can't post this video. (laughs) You can't release it. Uh, And so then we scrambled and cut like half of the footage out of the video and then ended up posting like this teeny tiny, like, you know, skeleton of what was, And then um, none of the social media content went up. It was months, like probably three, four months of time, which is ridiculous, that much time to organize like a social Valentine's Day social media campaign. But yeah, that was my, I quit immediately following.
2: (laughs) Can't blame you. That's basically doing anything better with your time. Well,
4: because I was new. I was new and I didn't trust that I like knew what I was doing. And despite the fact that my job at the time was Medicare policy, like I was working on policy communications for Medicare. Crazy town.
1: There's no accountability, right? There's no one to say, Hey, like, I mean, there's no one from national DSA who can say, Hey, you guys want to do Medicare for all. Like you look at national DSA's website and look at the Medicare for all organizing guides they are all from like 2018, you know, um, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but yeah, like the field is, has been abandoned large, largely, and some of the actors that are still around are being like asked by DSA to essentially come in to be like their, like they lead the national working groups or whatever, or committees, and they're not even in DSA. DSA just has no like game on medic, no plans, no hopes for Medicare for all, no strategy to try to even just keep it like as part of the public conversation um
4: do you does that before we close out does anyone have any like egregious quick examples fun stories
3: well it's a pity we didn't talk about this uh list of guidelines produced but was it by the CIA for how to uh oh yeah paralyze leftist organizations by having pointless interminable debates about things that don't matter and we're already settled and stuff because that's pretty funny but um yeah hey, I just do wanna... you want
1: do you want to read those I mean you know they kind of do like like you know it like does you just sound like a
3: description of DSA meeting
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
3: <laughs> okay. uh okay well Jenna. General interference with organizations and production. Insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. Make speeches. (laughs) Talk as frequently as possible at great length. Illustrate your points by long anecdotes and accounts of personal experiences. Never hesitate to make a few appropriate patriotic comments.
4: So like a two-hour podcast?
1: (laughs) I will say that that, I think it's changed a lot. Like people make speeches, but it's never anecdotal. Um, I
4: I mean,
3: this, there's some, it's just coming. It's coming. Three, when possible, refer all matters to committees for further study and consideration. Attempt to make the committees as large as possible, never less than five. (laughs) Four, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Five, haggle over precise wordings, communications, minutes, resolutions. Six, refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempts to reopen the question of the advisability of that decision. Seven, advocate caution. Be reasonable and urge your fellow conferees to be reasonable and avoid haste, which might result in embarrassments or difficulties later on. Eight, be worried about the propriety of any decision. Raise the question of whether such action as is contemplated lies within the jurisdiction of the group, or whether it might conflict with a policy of some higher echelon. So whatever you do, don't act decisively, don't make anything happen. It sounds like meetings I've been in.
1: Yeah, especially like uh, the quibbling over procedure, right? You know? Well, I mean, like, Cal- like, so like Katie, like in your case, what was going on was they were like, oh, okay, so there's this damage control thing we might have to do because there's a sexual assault allegation. But in reality, we know that a lot of people, like in leadership, just didn't like. There were like, there's bad blood between all these people, including that yeah. girl at on the Medicare for All committee or whatever. Right, that's group. what it was all about. It was all yeah. about personal stuff. And then they also didn't like Code Pink because they were like, oh, they're not a uh, like leftist enough or they're too white or something like that it's like yeah well they actually have money to do real international organizing on like dsa I'm, i don't know where they get and, it and now, a
4: lot like but... and a lot of leftists are i don't want to like make this only about i mean we yeah could, um, it's, not it's not just about dsa not just about dsa uh yeah 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 that's that's true but i
3: think it's it's a important. i know i'm sorry i keep saying the same thing over and over again but at each point it seems like it remains relevant This isn't a failure of this organization. This is the function of these kinds of organizations. The point is, you you're a competent human being with skills that could be used to make something happen in the world, what do we got to do? We got to make this person work on something for months and then put it in the trash. So that's not a failure. That's not an error. That's the function of these organizations. And so what needs to happen is the discrimination between intentional wastes of, like, It might not be intentional. There might not be someone pulling the strings, but de facto, the function is to to just grind your patience to dust, make you give up, become as cynical as possible, and waste your capacity so that nothing ever happens. And it's not a failure. It's the point of of this stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, on that pessimistic note, I want to thank all of you for coming on the show today. This was uh, Stephanie K, KDF, and Daniel B., Talking with us about debating. the topic of leftoid busy work <laughs> yeah. and wasting yeah. time uh, with the CIA. For, so, thanks for very much.
1: Five minutes and then. For,
2: <laughs> yeah, that was a quick one, guys. That was a quick show. Hey, uh, say goodbye.
1: Bye, everyone.
4: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.
2: Bye, bye, everyone.